Today, uh, after our service uh, at 11:45, we are having uh, this um, class, for lack of a better word. It's not a class because uh, it's not school, even though we're in a school. It's really kind of weird, uh, me having church in a school. Um, but uh, it's this thing called My Refuge, and what we do is um, we talk about the history, we talk about why we do what we do, we talk about the setup of the Refuge Church, and kind of let you know who we are and why we're here and um, for what purpose. And so if you want to make the refuge your home, then we want you we want you to go to my refuge. And so that's why we call it my refuge. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about at my refuge, we're going to be talking about my home and what it means to make the refuge church your home. So that's at 11.45. We meet in the littles classroom, so our kids are divided up in littles, middles, and bigs. And we're in the littles, littles classroom. It's um, the one that's in the common area. Um, it's also known as the alumni uh, conference room uh, if you're a part of the high school conference. So today we are in week two of what we're calling Love Over Obligation. I am so excited about this series uh, because... The series is centered around this thought, the thought of that God has this desire for us to see ourselves as sons and not slaves. He wants to see us as sons and not slaves because so oftentimes in our lives when we, um, like like my, when, when Darren was up here uh, talking about that conversation that he had with, with the coach um, that calls people that go to church hypocrites, one of the reasons why is because we've got this slave mentality that God is this, this master that we're supposed to follow. But love over obligation is not God being a ma- about God not being our master, but God being our father and us being his sons and doing what we do for him out of our love for him, not out of obligation to follow. And so... Last week, in week one, uh, we talked about the prodigal son. We said that over the next uh, three weeks, we're going to be talking about the prodigal son, looking at that story. Um, Each week, we'll look at it in different detail. But we showed how, even in the story of the prodigal son, we see this thought of obligation. The crux of the story 
is when this, this, this boy is away from home, and, and, and we'll talk about it again in a moment, but, but he's away from home, and he's, he's eating with the pigs, and he's saying, I need to go home, and I need to confess that I, I have sinned against heaven and against earth, or I've sinned against heaven and against my father, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, and I need to go home and be his slave. And, and, and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but the boy looked at his love for his father as he was obligated to love his dad. And so oftentimes we fall into this mentality of being obligated to love God. We go to church because we're obligated to go to church. We don't want you to come here because you're obligated. We want you to come here because you love Jesus. Because I believe that's what God wants. He's looking for our hearts. And so last week we talked about fatal obligations. Today we're going to talk about life-giving love. Life-giving love. And then next week, next week we're going to talk about endless love and how we make our love for God last. We were on our way home from church last week, and my wife said to me, um, if we were going to call the last week endless obligation or endless love, I hope that you're kidding yourself. Uh, we had to look it up. Luther Vandross, was it? Uh, Luther Vandross, it means endless love. So uh, someone's singing that right now. Um, and it's not following me. Uh, this, this experience is, um, if, if you've gone to, to church talking about life giving love, and it's something that I believe that this world doesn't understand. Something that this world doesn't understand. Because I believe that if our church gets down the concept of offering life giving love, not only to God, but to other people, then our church will be set apart in many ways. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you do. God, thank you for every person that has gotten out of their bed this morning. Thank you for that. And thank you that they're here. Lord, that they've taken their time. They've taken uh, just just about an hour and a half of their time to give it to you this morning. Father, I, I love that we go to church on Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. And so we give our time at the beginning of the week so that you can bless the rest of it. And so, God, I pray that right now, that, that this morning, that, that this week, that you will bless the rest of our week through giving us This morning, our big idea is this, that God, the Father, 
gives us life-giving love so that we can in turn give it right back to him so that he gives it to us to give it to other people. That's the big idea. There's a lot of a lot to that idea, and so we're going to break that down. Life-giving love is a cycle, and we're going to talk about those cycles and throughout our, our message. So um, life, it doesn't matter in what form. All life comes from God, and that's why life is sacred. You know, I'll never forget about 13 years ago now, the day that my wife and I found out that we were going to be married, when she found out that she was pregnant with our Hannah. You know, a secret, my wife and I thought we were going to get in trouble. Like we thought we were going to call our mom and dad and tell them we're pregnant and we were, we were in trouble because we were legal. <laughs> we were legal to do what we had done to get pregnant, but um, we thought that we were going to get in trouble for doing it. And so um, we, we, we call my parents and we tell them that they're going to be grandparents. We call her parents and tell them that they're going to be grandparents. And um, my, the, the, the boss that I had at the time, he tells me to this day, Adam, you didn't breathe for three weeks after you found out that you were going to be a dad because it's scary. But here is one thing that I've always said about life, and that is if God is in control of anything, anything, he is in control of life. He gives it and he takes it away. And I have to believe that. If God is in control of anything, he is in control of life itself. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, by the way, um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. If you only have your cell phone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, um, it looks like that. That Bible is the only downloaded uh, Bible that, that you can get in Amazon, but if you have any other Bible, you're wrong. Version Bible app is the best one to follow, and um, it tells you right there on the screen. Go into your event section um, that's down under the, the more line, and from there you get there. And um, the refuge notes will come up because it knows that you're at the refuge church, and um, you can follow along with all of the notes for today. And in fact, um, if you follow along, I give you more on the notes than what you'll have on the screen. Quite a bit more um, in there. So uh, make sure that you follow along. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life. Say life. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. God gives us life. He comes from him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, In I'm sorry, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13, it says, um, in the beginning of that verse, and I charge you before God who gives life to all. God gives all forms of life. Anything that truly is life-giving starts with God. It has to. And so we've got this term, life-giving, and simply what that means is that it gives it gives life to it. And 
those of you that, that have um, experienced negativity, you know what that makes you feel like. And so anything that's negative will cause us to want to die, and therefore it's, it's life-taking and not life-giving. And so anything that is life-giving comes from God. Now, in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves God is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In which I say, hmm, I wonder about that person in my life. Do they really know God? Because they don't do a whole lot of loving. Um, but when we read that scripture, we see that love comes from God. So life comes from God and love comes from God. Therefore, if we want to be, uh, if we want to give life-giving love, it must come from God. It originates with Him. But if we, and, and therefore, if we want to give life-giving love in our lives, we have to um, know God in order to give life-giving love. Are you following with me? Because I'm not really communicating as clear as I want to. So I apologize for that. Let me get that up. So we have to know God in order to do that. But in order to know God, we see from the scriptures that we have to know God as our father. As our father. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it says this. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons and daughters. What does it mean the Bible says? saying that God saw that we were, we were lost, we were without him, we were without a father. So he sent his son Jesus to, to die in our place and to free us from the law so that he could adopt us as his own child. Verse uh, 6 of Galatians 4 says, And because we are his children, God sent, his, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, So in 2016, my family and I moved to Maine. Uh, and when we moved to Maine, uh, we found a house in Windsor. That's why we planted the church in, in, in Windsor. And um, when we did, we found this house that was um, a rental. And it was a, it was a steal of a deal. It was a great, great deal. Um, a, a lady that uh, was really excited about us starting the church decided that she would rent it to us for a really good price. And that's how we ended up here. The only catch was that we had two dogs. We have two dogs. Um, and we couldn't have our dogs with us in, in the rental house. And so we were, we were pretty, pretty bummed about that. Our chocolate lab um, at the time was uh, 
11 years old. She's 13 now. And um, she's a complete pitiful dog. I have no idea how she's still alive. Um, but she is. And uh, we also had this dog, a basset hound by the name of Ruby. And um, Ruby uh, is basically is a pain, um, just to put it lightly. Uh, and so when we, when we had these two dogs, we had to find a place for them to stay. And my in-laws, they, they, they had this connection with, with our chocolate lab. We call her Peach. And um, they had this connection with her, so they said, you know, you need to stay with us. And so we lived with my in-laws for, for years. Ruby, on the other hand, was not welcome in my in-laws' house. So we had to find a house for Ruby. And my friends Shelton and Jamie Perkins that live in Sharon, Massachusetts, said, Ruby can come live with us. Now, I'll tell you, I don't take advantage of people, but we can totally take advantage of Shelton and Ruby, or Shelton and Jamie, because um, two weeks prior, they had a chihuahua that had run out in the road and got hit by a car. So we just capitalized on their grief. Said Shelton and Ruby, or Shelton and Jamie, why do I keep calling Shelton and Ruby? Um, Shelton and Jamie, um, we can replace that dog for you for a short time at least. And so, so Shelton and, and Jamie took Ruby in for a full year, and we are indebted to them for that. And while they were, while while she was there at their house, we would go and visit from time to time. And they live in Sharon, Massachusetts, that happens to be a large Jewish population. And so one day we were visiting uh, Jamie and Shelton, and we went to uh, went to visit the dog, and we take her to the park. At the time, we found out that that Jamie was feeding uh, Ruby carrots, uh, which um, she has stopped eating carrots, and now she's her, her figure um, shows that. And while we're at the park in Sharon, there's a a father and his and his daughters that were that, that were Jewish that were that were playing in the, in the park. And that was the first time that I ever heard a child use the term Abba when talking to their dad. And I will never forget that day because I heard a child call their dad Abba, realizing that that is exactly what God how God wants me to address him. The term Abba is so much more than the term daddy, right? So like the term, the term in the English language that we use for affection when it comes to our dads is, is daddy or, or like my kids used to call me dada um, and uh, whatever it is, pops, you know, terms of affection for our father. But in the Hebrew language, the term Abba is a sign of not only love, but a sign of also trust. Because the term Abba says that you are the you are the founder of this family. You are the one that started it all. You're the one that I'm following. You're the one that I trust. Abba is the form of trust plus love. You see, we say all the time that Satan and his angels, they believe that God exists. They believe him. So what separates us from Satan? Because your belief in God will not save you. It's belief 
plus trust with your life that saves you. We have to get to that point of trust. And so when we call God our Abba, we're saying we trust you. We trust you. But what I'm afraid of is that our society has lost this connection with their dad. We've lost this connection with our father. We need more fathers in our lives. You see, fathers have a way of telling their kids the truth of who they are. But what happens is we lose that connection. Rather, we lose that connection due to, um, to a literal loss of death, or maybe they walk out, but, or maybe just their dad isn't there because they're off working or doing something else, and they're not showing interest in their kids. So fathers have a way of telling their kids the truth of who they are, and when they stop telling their kids the truth of who they are, their kids start to believe any lie that anyone tells them about who they are. And so... We need this voice of a father in our lives. And we need the voice of a father that will never let us down. We need the voice of a father that will love us regardless of our actions, regardless of what we do. We need the everlasting love of a father that will forgive us in our deepest, darkest needs. In our deepest, darkest needs. And that's someone that I want to trust. When I was a kid growing up, my dad was my hero. He was my hero. He wasn't a rugged man. He wasn't a manly man that would fix cars and teach me about horsepower and all the stuff that cars do. wasn't who my dad was. My dad was into sports, so I'm into sports. My dad was into caring for people, so I care for people. My dad loved our family and he worked hard for it. So he was my hero. But you know, the one thing that I long to hear my dad say Son, you have what it takes to do exactly what I do. You have what it takes to follow my footsteps. And our kids need to hear that they have what it takes. They need to hear that we're proud of them. I'm afraid that our kids don't hear that we're proud of them enough. And so what happens is, um, so, so at the refuge, we have this saying that you don't have to believe what we believe in order to belong to us. And, and here's why we say that. Because everyone at our core, we have this somewhat, this, this desire to be loved and to give love. We have this, this at, at, at our core, we have this. 
desire for love. And, and so we say you don't have to believe, but we believe you can belong here because sometimes you have to feel love before you can believe. And I believe that the, the, the number one place that we need to find love is from our Father. And that's why we're talking about Abba Father today. That's why we're talking about trusting God today because that's, that's where we receive our love. But what happens is we fall into this, 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 this thought that we have to perform in order to receive love. We fall into this thought of if, if I'm not getting the, the, the love and the, and, and the attention that I crave and that I desire, then you know what? I'm just going to perform until I get it. I'm going to perform in order to receive it. And so what happens is we can fall into this this cycle known as the cycle of obligation. It's a cycle of obligation. I've got, I've got a, I, I put together a little, little graph for you. It's not a very, it's a pretty graph, but it's a graph. And it's based around this thought that we all have this desire for love. We have a desire for love in our lives. And when we fall into the trap of obligation, we perform. We perform. We go to church because we feel obligated, because we want to feel the love of God in our lives. So we perform. And then when we perform, we receive. And we receive, some of us, we receive love back. Some of us even receive rejection. But whatever it is we receive, and because we receive, we then feel. So some of that, we feel love back. Some of it, we feel rejection. But whatever it is, it causes us to perform because we need that feeling. So we have a desire to, to love, and so because we have a desire to love, we perform. Because we perform, we receive. Because we receive, we feel, and we do it again and again and again. So we fall into this cycle of obligation, doing things based on performance. Can I just say that I believe that this is the most dangerous thing when it comes to is the most dangerous thing when it comes to education in our kids' lives. Because there's a fine line in performing on the field and performing in the classroom and feeling the pride that our Father has for us, feeling that He's proud of us. There's a fine line between that and doing it out of our love for Him. So what happens is we, we put our kids on the field and, and they perform and they perform well society is I'm afraid that our kids are spending too much time on a soccer field or on a baseball field and they're not spending enough time around a dinner table. We have got to get back to a dinner table. Because the dinner table is where we open our lives together. The dinner table is where we break bread together. The dinner table is where we talk about our days. I recently went on a retreat to Montana, and I met with, with other pastors from all over the country. And when I was there, every night around the dinner table, we would have 
Last week we talked about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You can turn there if you want to follow along in your story. We're only going to read a couple of scriptures from there this morning. When I read the prodigal son, I picture I picture a lot of it happening around a dinner table. When the prodigal goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want I want my money. I want I want my share of inheritance for, for whatever reason. I take sometimes when I'm picturing the Bible, I take a little bit of liberty, not not a lot of liberty, but just a little bit of liberty with the pictures that go in my head. And one of those liberties is I picture this happening around a dinner table. Because this is where we're open. This is where we have conversation. And the prodigal, he asks the father for his inheritance. He breaks the father's heart around the dinner table, telling him that he wishes that he was dead. And then, like I mentioned earlier, he's lying with the pigs and he's saying, what am I doing? I am starving. And, and my, my dad's servants at home, they have, they have things to eat. And why am I starving them? You know what? I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me your servant. And so the prodigal son says, I'm going to go home and I'm just going to work for the love of my father. But when he gets home, he sees his father running down the, running down the street, getting to him, meeting him at the, at the start of the village. And when his dad gets there, he changes his speech and he no longer says, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son, make me your servant. Instead, he only says the first two, I've sinned and I'm not worthy. And that's it. He drops the part of being a servant. He drops the part of being a slave. Because he realizes that he's always been a son. When he sees the love of the father. And that's why we need fathers in our lives to tell us they love us. The sacrifice didn't stop that. In Luke chapter 15, verse 22 through 24, it says this. It says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house and put on him, or put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and the sandals for his feet and kill the, the calf that we have fattened. For we must celebrate a feast for this son of mine that was dead has now returned to life. He was lost, and now he's found. So let the party begin. Come on, somebody. Right there was a party that day because, his fa- because the boy was home. But I want you to pay special attention to what the father puts on the son. He says to his servants, go and get the finest robe. Now let me tell you a little bit about the robe. You see, the robe, the finest robe, it didn't belong to any of the sons. It didn't belong to any of the servants. The robe belonged to the father. So when he says, servants, go and get the finest robe, he's saying, go and get my robe to put on my son because I love him so much and I am proud of him. 
And he had what it takes to be like Moses. This is the son that had just told his dad that he was that he was dead. He had come home. He had returned. He goes and he gets the robe. And so that when he goes, when, when the party happens, when the when the when the people in town come to the party, they look at the son and they instantly see the father's robe on the son, knowing that the son has been restored and restored relationship with the father. Then he says, Go and get the ring. The ring is super special. Because the ring would be what's known as the family signet ring. You can look that up, S-I-G-N-E-T. You can Google it and get the right thing. I think that's the best way to say that. I think it's in that other book. So he, he has the signet ring, the family signet ring. And what that would do is that that ring would carry the family seal. So when someone in, in, in this time would use the family signet ring, they would stamp their approval with it, right? We say stamp of approval. They would stamp their approval with the family signet ring. It was used for purchase. It was used as a signature for your entire family, not just you. It was a sign of trust. And this really made the older brother mad because he hated his younger brother. He didn't even go to the party. And so... The signet ring is huge. And then he says, and bring me some food. This will make you shout. Because ladies and gentlemen, servants or slaves, they don't wear shoes. Sons wear shoes. And so the father is saying, this is my son. In Ephesians chapter 6. All over these notes this morning. Sweet grace. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, we see we see the, the armor of God. And in the armor of God, verse 15 of Ephesians 6 says, uh, in the New King James, having shod your feet. Shod means put on shoes. It's the past tense of shoes. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the in the in the armor of God, the shoes always represent the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the gospel that makes us shod. Do you follow that? That the shoes represent the gospel, and the gospel is what makes us sons of God. That's why our shoes are so important. Because God says. Let me clothe you in my righteousness. That's, in, that's in, in Isaiah chapter 61. When Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son, the, the men that he is speaking to, they know Isaiah 61. Let me, let me read Isaiah 61. It says this. It says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. He draped me in the robe of righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, the robe of righteousness is Jesus' righteousness and not our own. When we come to God, he clothes us in righteousness, just like the dad and the prodigal son did. And so, the dinner table, in the story of the prodigal son, it takes place at the end of the story. 
dad is having a party for the son has returned. This is a party for the son, for the father, not for the son. It's a, it's a fa- the reason why it is a party for the father is because no one would have come to the, father, for, to the party if it was just for the son. But it was because it was to celebrate the father's success in bringing the boy home. And so the older boy stands out in the field and he doesn't come inside. And when he doesn't come inside, the father gets up from the dinner table and he goes to rescue the son, to bring him inside, to bring him back into relationship with him. But ladies and gentlemen, what we do not know, what we miss as Americans is that the dad was slapping the, slapping the faces of all of his dinner guests because he left the party. And when he left the party, he slapped the face of all the, he figuratively slapped the face of all the people attending his party. Because he goes and he says, my son is more important than any of you. I will go and I will rescue him. And heartbreak takes place at the dinner table. I can't imagine the disappointment that the father had when his oldest son doesn't come to his party. He's saying, Dad, you know what? My thoughts are better than yours. My, my way is better than yours. I can't be in the presence of that sinner, so I'm not going to go inside. And there are so many of us today that say the exact same thing. The older son only did things out of performance, out of obligation, not out of his love for his father. Because if the boy loved his father, and if he did what he did out of love, if he, if he, if he would just operate in love for his father... That would have been enough to get him inside. But it wasn't. So what's missing in our lives is the cycle of life giving love. Because we operate in this cycle of of obligation and we miss the cycle of life giving love. And this is what the the cycle of life giving love looks like. It comes with humility. So I'll pray quickly as we are. cycle of life giving love just like the cycle of obligation begins with the desire that we all have to be loved and to give love it begins with the desire for love and instead of going straight to our performance we go straight to receiving the love that God has for us because we don't have to perform to receive the God the, the love that God has for us we go straight to receiving his love for us And when we go to receive the love that God has for us, then we give our love back to him because he has been so good to us. Which causes us to give love to other people. And as we give love to other people, then we go back to giving, to receiving God's love for us. Again and again and again. This is life giving love. But this is a choice that we have to make every single day. Every day I get up, I have to make the choice that I'm going to receive God's love in my life, regardless of what's going on in politics, regardless of what's going on with my friend's life, regardless of the burdens that I'm carrying. I will choose to receive God's love in my life every single day. 
know this morning that God wants to clothe us with his righteousness. Meaning that he wants us to forget the wrong that we have done. And he wants to us to come home, just to come home and meet him at the dinner table. So what I want to do today is something that we haven't done enough as a church at the refuge. Today I want to, we don't have a dinner table, but we do have some bread and we do have some juice. So this morning we're going to observe the Lord's Supper and we're going to break bread together because I believe with all of my heart that the church has got to find a way to get back to the dinner table centered around a father that loves us, centered around a father that gave everything that he could in order to rescue them. And the reason we observe the Lord's Supper is because it is a picture of all the sacrifice that God has given for us to rescue us. The dinner table is where we find life-giving love. And something practical for your family. Get back to the dinner table. Get back to the dinner table. I'm not saying that your kids shouldn't play ball, shouldn't do sports. But I'm saying they should spend more time around the dinner table with you than they do on the soccer field or the baseball field, whatever field it is. More time with you around the dinner table than the classroom, than their faces in a book. Not that education isn't important. It's very important. But time with you is more important. You don't have very much time with your kids. 18 years. That is not enough. Not enough. But ladies and gentlemen, we have got to get back to the dinner table. So this morning, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. And some of you, this will be the first time you've ever done it. Some of you, maybe the first time that you've ever done it the way that we're going to do it. For those of you that call yourselves sons of God, those of you that belong to God's family, dinner time is a family time. So the Lord's Supper is to be observed by those that have received Jesus as their Savior. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 28 says, So anyone who eats of this bread and drinks of this cup in an un- of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord. Verse 28, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Now, when I was a kid at dinner time, uh, maybe, maybe the moms can help me out with this. But when I was a kid at dinner time, my mom would say, all right, guys, it's time to eat. We'd come run into the dinner table. And then she'd say, wait, 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 wait. Before you, before you get to the dinner table, go and wash your hands. We go wash our hands before we ate dinner together. And when the Bible says for us to not come in an unworthy manner, what he's saying is you better wash your hands before you come to this table. Now, unworthy is simply an attitude, not an action. You understand that? Unworthy is an attitude, not an action. 
It's not about what we've done. It's about our heart when we observe. So we want to make sure that we have the right heart this morning when we come into this this moment. But um, before we get there, do me a favor. Bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to make sure that everyone has the moment to return home. I want, I want to make sure that you all have the moment to return home before we get to the table. And then I will give you instructions on how we're going to do this. And then we'll sing a song and be dismissed. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never returned home. You've never called God Abba. You've never trusted him with your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If that's you, would you do me a favor? Just let me know that I'm talking to somebody. Would you raise your hand just so I can know who I'm talking to? Anybody? Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. If you raise your hand, I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. Say, God, I know I've done wrong. I know that my actions have separated me from you. But God, I know that you've been waiting for me to come home. And that while I've been away, you've done everything you can to rescue me. I believe that you've sent your son Jesus to die in my place in order to forgive me of my sins. And so God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to make me right with you, to come into my life and to save me. his name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed and eye posts still. Maybe you're here and, and you've just fallen into the trap of obligation. You've given your tithe to the church because you're obligated to do it. You're, you've come to church because you're obligated to do it. You've loved your wife because you said I do. You've loved your wife because you said till death do us part. But you've stopped loving her because you really love her. Your husband, the same thing. Maybe we need to get back to the point of loving each other because it's what we have in our hearts for each other. God wants our hearts. So as we Break bread together. Make sure you wash your hands. I'm going to say a prayer. And when I'm done, we've got three places in the back. I'm going to ask you to, to just go back 
as orderly as you can. You've got a loaf of bread and a cup of juice that people are holding in the back. There's three people holding them in the back. And um, one of them is gluten-free. So for all of our gluten-free folks, the um, my friend Jesus that has the glass cup, that's the gluten-free cup. The other ones are ceramic. You'll be able to tell by the bread. So we want you to go as orderly as possible. Rip off a piece of the bread and just dip it in the juice and partake of it. And then we want you to come back and sit down or, or actually come back and stand up. And we're going to celebrate because I believe that the best time of breaking bread together is in celebration. So we're going to celebrate with a song, and then we'll be dismissed. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for the love that you give us. God, I pray that what I have said here today would not have been my words, but they would be words straight from you, God. I pray that that the love that we have for you would bleed over into our love for each other. That we would love you first and then love you the way that you tell us when you talk about the greatest commandment. Love God and love others. Father, I pray that we would come into this table setting, this time of breaking bread, that we would do it in a, in a way that we, that we remember all that you have done for us. Father, thank you for Jesus breaking his body for us. Thank you for him pouring out his blood for us on our behalf. So that we could stand as sons of God, sons of a king.